Nice to see you all this morning. Thank you, Brother Armand. Turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 2. This is the second of our third series of messages on Christmas that have absolutely nothing to do with each other. That was supposed to be funny. All right. We're off to a good start. Got to keep up. You got to keep up. I know we're all tired. We're cookied out. All right, Matthew chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. When he had gathered all the chief priests and, and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to once again consider the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the gift that was given for the time that he came and was born in flesh, the eternal one becoming man, and for the humility in which he came. Lord, as we study and think about this this morning, may we grow in depth of our love for him and our understanding of your love for us through him. So we ask you to bless this time now in your word. In Christ's name, amen. So my thought this morning was just to think about what does it mean, king of the Jews? Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Not to be the king of the Jews, the one who will be king of the Jews, the one destined to be the king of the Jews, the one born king of the Jews. I think the first thing we need to consider and, and remember and be humbled by uh, is the fact that at birth, Jesus is the king of the Jews. He's fulfilled the prophecy of one who will come. Every king born throughout history has to inherit his position or claim it. Jesus does not. Jesus is born the king of the Jews, and this is who they have come to worship. This is the one they call, in other terms, the son of David. You will see the phrase also, the son of David is the king of the Jews, the one destined to fulfill the prophecy given to David by the Lord through the prophet Nathan, that one, his heirs, will sit upon the throne for eternity. So they call this man they've been waiting for the son of David. These wise men, we also call them magi. They should not be called kings, but they should be called, they could be reconciled as magi have come. And they've been looking for this one. And they've seen the sign and they saddle up, however long it took them to collect everything and make the journey, and they get there. They're not there at his birth. He's already been born. As we can see that he's no longer in the manger, they're in a house. They're still in Bethlehem, 
but they're not in a manger. They're in the house, and they've arrived. I think that, uh, well, we'll talk about that in a minute. The, the lineage of, of David to Jesus, as we know, is through uh, Nathan. If you go to Luke 3.33, and we look at the lineage of Jesus, There's a certain line he cannot be from. He cannot be from the line of Solomon. But in verse 33, is it 33? Did I write it down wrong? He is verse 31. The son of Malia, the son of Menon, the son of Matatha, the son of Nathan, and the son of David. So to keep his promise, God sends Jesus through the line to maintain his, his offer. We turn to 2 Samuel, please, chapter 7. I want to give us a little baseline of who this king is. The Lord makes a covenant with David, and if we go down to verse 5, David wants to build a house for the Lord, but David cannot because David has been a man of sin. He's been a man after God's own heart, but he's also been a man of sin. So the Lord says, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously, since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. Of course, we know that didn't happen, uh, except in, uh, when he took our sins on our behalf. But my mercy shall not depart from him, as I took her from Saul, whom I removed from before you. As your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you, your throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. Sure, Second Samuel chapter 7, verses 5 to 17. Sure, thanks for asking. Try not to talk too fast. God made a promise to David. There's going to be one from you who will sit on my throne forever. And the people of Israel knew this, and they waited, and they waited. And many promises were made. And at last, this king has been born. But they didn't know it. They were looking and waiting for the wrong thing. In Jeremiah 23... Verses 5 through 6, the prophet said, on behalf of the Lord, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, 
that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. By this prophecy, this Messiah, this king that they've been waiting for, has also been named God. The Lord our righteousness will be his name. Not the Lord will be his righteousness. He will have the righteousness of the Lord. The Lord our righteousness will be his name. In Hebrew, it's Jehovah, and I'm going to mispronounce it, Sidkenu. Sidkenu, I say it right? Sidkenu. I think it's supposed to be Sidkenu. Steve Herzog's not here to correct me, Paul. I'll check with him. I'm pretty sure it's Sidkenu. What? Yes, yeah, I'm a little more Hebrew that way. Yahweh Sidkenu. Messiah is the Lord. And he is, and I mean that in all respect, by the way. I'm not trying to make fun of it. I, I respect the language. I just can't speak it. Messiah is the Lord, and he is our righteousness. This is the name of this king who will come. He will not just be a man. He will not just be a man who is righteous in his ways, but he is the one who will be our righteousness, the righteousness that we cannot have. In 1 Corinthians 1.30, Paul wrote, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In Philippians 3.9, we read, and, be, and we will be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And in Romans 3.26, we see... In the, the life of Christ, it was to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See, this king who was born, that the Jews were looking for to rule, to reign, to conquer, that's going to come later. This king born in Bethlehem was born to be our righteousness, to fulfill the need that we cannot attain to ourselves to be righteous before God. This is why he was born, and this is his name. God with us. God with us. This is the name of the king who has been born, to be the righteousness that we cannot achieve for ourselves, to fulfill all the righteous requirements that God has for all those who want to relate with him. We turn over to Luke chapter 1. Verse 26, Luke 1, 26. Another presentation of this name. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. 
He will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Another example of the proclamation of who Jesus is. Not just a special child, but a king come to fulfill the promise of the one needed, but also just the position he will have when he comes into this world. The son of the highest. That's equating him with God. That's equating him with God. Anytime we see these names, the son of the highest, the son of David, we're equating him with God. I was thinking, I got a couple of thoughts this morning. Hope they make sense. They don't always. You know, there's a there was a picture, there's a there's a there's a there's a picture, an illustration for us. You know, the first king that Israel chose was Saul. And they chose Saul because he was big and tall and handsome. That's the kind of guy we want to lead us. He's a good-looking guy, and he's big and he's strong, and he'll protect us. And it didn't take long for him to fall, and God had to choose another. Who did God choose in his place? David. A little boy. What was David's key to becoming king? He was a man after God's own heart. He was a humble servant of God. He had the characters of a shepherd, one who cares and has compassion. So we see they picked and wanted a king who was a certain way, but it was the completely wrong kind of king, and it was a disaster. So it was David that God chose to be the next king and to set up his lineage with that character. At this time, what kind of king is Israel looking for? This Messiah. They want a conqueror. They want a, 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 an army general. A, a dominant kind of man. Who does God send? The humblest of all humble people who have ever walked the earth, coming in the humblest of ways. See the parallel of the actual king that God provides. I think there's a, a, a picture there. Israel looked for a Saul, but God sent a David. God sent one who would be the fulfillment of all his plans and needs for us to be our righteousness, but to accomplish that, he came to this earth humbly. In the humblest of places, I, I was struck when, when the kids read the, read the play because it actually was, was part of my thoughts as well. Jesus was not born in a palace. What king is not born in a palace? What future king is not born in a palace? How many of David's sons were not born in his house, in, in luxury, and in, in the, in the descendants, and kings after kings. But where's Jesus born? In Bethlehem, where David was born. David is from Bethlehem. The son of David comes from where David comes from. The fulfillment of the promise. The security we have in knowing that this is the one that was promised fulfills the fact that in Micah 5.2, it's out of Bethlehem, out of Bethlehem, one will come. Out of Bethlehem, one will come. What caused the Magi to want to come and worship him? I have a, a hunch that the exiled Jews during the time of exile brought the word that they had through them throughout all the places that they were dispersed. And these men were men who studied these things. So they were looking for something. 
How is it that they could see the importance of Jesus' birth, but the Jews could not, and it was right before them? There's also an interesting picture. I'm just going just to mention it. The first people revealed that Jesus was born were the shepherds, Jews. Then it was to the Magi, the Gentiles. Same pattern of the message. The message came to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. Message of the king. So they got this message. They've studied these, these, these prophets and these words and these laws that were passed down that were left with them. And so what do they do? They want to pay tribute to this king. Could they fully recognize and understand the magnitude of who Jesus was? Or was he just the king of the Jews, another king that was born? But there had to be something passed on and shared with them of the magnitude of who this prophesied king would be, that they would come all this way and bring these gifts and make such a, a big deal out of coming. If we had a prophecy like that, if we, if, if we just put ourselves in their role, and, this, and we had these prophecies, there's going to be a great king coming, and we say, it's fulfilled, let's go. Wouldn't we be like them? Where's the first place you'd head? To the capital. He's got to be in the capital. He's the new king. He's the king born. They've got to be celebrating and rejoicing. This king has been born. Let's head straight to the capital. And they roll into the capital. And, what's, and they say, where is he who was born king of the Jews? And what's the response they get? Who? Who what? My name is Herod, and I'm the king. You said what? What, a, what an absolute uh, tragedy of the time. The Magi knew he needed to be worshipped. They said, where is he that we may go worship him? Not just we want to see him and we want to respect him, but they actually used the word worship. They, they, they realized that the magnitude of the word that was promised. They figured everyone would be celebrating but they're not. They're oblivious. How are we to respond to this king? How are we today to respond to this king? I, I stole this quote from Spurgeon. Those who look for Jesus will see him. Those who truly see him will worship him. Those who worship him will consecrate their substance to him. It's an obligation when meeting with a king to bring our gifts, right? We know that. And what we bring now is our, is our gifts. We bring our worship. We bring what we have. We bring homage. We live our lives as those who are grateful and recognizing that this is the king and I was looking at those gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I'm sure we know this. The gold signifies his royalty. The frankincense, his deity. And the myrrh, his humanity, his suffering. All these things are brought before him. So I was thinking, I'm trying to articulate this. My, my chain of thought. Where I went with this 
was the example, what we call the Lord's Prayer, which I don't like to call the Lord's Prayer. I like to call John 17 the Lord's Prayer, the high priestly prayer. This is the example of prayer that the Lord gave us, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us a stay of the bread. Give us our trespasses. We forgive those trespasses us and lead us not into temptation, right? That's an example there is a pattern when we pray. We exalt God and give him his holiness. We seek his will, and then we bring our burdens. That's the pattern Jesus gave us in prayer. And so I kind of took that model, and I thought, when we bring our worship, should we not recognize consistently the pattern of his royalty, his deity, and his humanity in our worship? These, these things combine. I'm not trying to be legalistic and say, when you worship, you must do these three things. Not at all. The heart needs to be led in worship where it is in the moment when it considers God. But I think there's a beautiful picture for us to consider when we bring our worship to remember these things of who he is that we're worshiping. Thank you. You're so awesome for doing this thing for me today. No. Lord God, you are my king. Lord God, Lord Jesus, you are God who came in flesh. And Lord Jesus, you are the God who came in flesh who died for me. That's worship. That's remembrance of who he is. I just want to encourage us to think about when we worship, personally and corporately, to remember these things. These pictures are in the scripture for a reason, for us to think about how we approach God, how we approach the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Let's consider his royalty, his kingdom, his godliness, all these things that we say when we think of the name, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're expressing. Every time you say the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord who's king, Christ who's Messiah, Jesus his man, we are saying those things in his name. He is God, he is king, and he is man who came and suffered on our behalf. This phrase, king of the Jews, it signifies really his first advent. His first advent. Jesus came to earth, and he had the title, king of the Jews. He came humbly and unnoticed. He came in Bethlehem as prophesied. He was of righteousness. He came to shepherds, God's people. Before Pilate and before the high priest, he acknowledged his, his position, didn't he? When he was before Pilate, Pilate said, are you not the king of the Jews? The only time he would answer him, it is as you say. He acknowledged his title. That's who he was. But he's going to come again. Turn with me to Revelation 19, please. There's going to come a time, as we know, when this king is going to return. Right? We expect um, a rapture. We expect a time of tribulation. And then we expect this to happen. In verse 11 of Revelation 19, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. 
and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one, no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on, on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. His next advent will not be as King of the Jews. He will be King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and he will reign over all. He will establish his kingdom for eternity. The first king of Jews came humbly to offer himself. When he returns, he will come as a conqueror, and he will set things right. Throughout history, there have been many a baby who have become a king, but only once did a king become a baby. Many kings have died, some even in battle for their land. Only one gave himself. No king has ever come back. One will. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for our Lord Jesus Christ. It is such an honor to use the word Lord when saying his name, to acknowledge him as our king, as the gentle one who rules us and leads us with righteousness and kindness and mercy. Father, we thank you for the time that he took on flesh and came to this earth to fulfill the prophecy and the promise made that one would come. But he had to redeem us. He had to save us. And the only way he could do that was by his own life on the cross. So we thank you for the power that you gave him, and the power that rose him again. Father, we recognize and anticipate the time when he will come again. Lord, we pray for those who do not know Jesus Christ right now, that they will come to know him, put their faith in him before he returns. But we're so thankful that you've given us the heart to understand and know that he is king, and he is Lord, and he is ours. So thank you again for his humble sacrifice on our behalf. And we exalt and praise you and thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. We thank you in his name. Amen. Lord bless you. Have a wonderful Christmas. We'll see you.